Hello and welcome to a live version of Solid Steps Radio. We're in front of a, we do not, we do not have a room full of people at our, in our studios today. We are actually out and doing a live taping of a show at a listener appreciation dinner. We've done this every year we've, we've been doing our show and we're very appreciative of our crowd being here today. And if you are listening on the radio or a podcast, uh, we are Solid Steps Radio. I am Chad Russell, co-host. Over there is Kurt Souter of Further Still Ministries. And we are a show for men by men, talking about things from a man's perspective. We have lots of lady listeners. Any ladies in the house listen? All right. That was so dainty and so sweet, wasn't it? And uh, so why do we exist? We believe that men have a destiny, and that destiny is to walk with Jesus Christ. And you're not fulfilling your destiny if you're not walking with him. And that's true for ladies, too. But we uh, at Solid Steps Radio, we have a passion for men. Kurt asked me years ago, what breaks your heart? And that men who want to walk with God but don't know how. And that's why we do this show. We want to be a tool in your toolbox. We are not the answer to any questions. or We do not have all the answers. Jesus is the answer to all your questions. But we just want to be a tool in your toolbox. So that being said, uh, we're doing a show today talking about a topic that's very popular in business world. We're talking about leadership. Okay. So here's my question to the audience and to the listeners. If you had to draw on a board what leadership looked like, but you could not use any words, you could only draw what a leader would look like without words, what would those drawings look like? Now, I thought about that, and I thought a lot of times people would probably have a leader being on the top and other people being on the bottom. The leader may be bigger, and the other people may be smaller. The leader may be over here, and the other folks who they're leading over there. But today, we're going to turn that notion on its ear, and that the leader is not over there. The leader is up to his or her ears amongst the people they are leading. So, Chad, we got, we got a guest that is back in this, uh, well, it's not the studio, but our live event. Dan Webster, dude, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kurt. Um, you, you, uh, you were here about a year, year and a half ago, and you shared uh, a little bit of your life and authentic leadership. Remind our listeners, you, you were on staff leading one of the largest student ministries in the country. I think the largest at the time, probably. Yeah, that's true. Um, but you left that ministry. Um, tell us why. Well, to give a little context, I came to faith as a senior in high school. I don't remember any Christian presence on my high school in Southern California. I don't remember Fellowship of Christian Athletes or Youth for Christ or Young Life or any of that. And uh, when I heard the gospel, it so radically transformed my life that a year later, I, am, I went back and I visited three guys that I played basketball with in high school, and all of them were strung out on drugs. One of them had a kid and couldn't care less about his kid or his girlfriend. And I'm thinking in that moment, why didn't someone do something to help students like myself in high school hear about the life-changing power of the gospel, about Jesus Christ? And when I prayed that prayer, I thought I was going to be a doctor. God whispered to me, yeah, why doesn't someone do something about that? <laughs> and that was the moment God ruined my life <laughs> in a good way. And so I ended up pursuing student ministry uh, got out of all my chemistry classes and uh, cut my teeth in Southern California and then uh, got connected with some guys that really understood how to do student ministry and I uh, got my arms around the fundamentals. If you're going to be a great director of student ministries, what do you need to know? And I mastered those things and so 20 years later, 
Uh, I am, uh, every single one of us in here in our vocation, we long hopefully to understand what are the fundamental skills that I need to get my arms around, how do I master those, and how do I move the organization, ministry, whatever it is that I'm a part of forward as my talent touches the planet in a meaningful way. And uh, so, like you said, 20 years later, I am at the top of my mountain vocationally. Uh, we have a student ministry of about 1,800 high school kids and eight or 900 junior high kids and a volunteer staff of 225, an incredible professional team. And I was crystal clear for that two-decade span of what the work was that had my name on it. Uh, there's a work that has your name on it. We've got to figure out what that is. It comes from your talents, your passions. And I was crystal clear. This is what God had gifted me to do and passioned me to do, prepared me to be able to do. And so uh, 20 years later, I walk into an auditorium, and I'm leading a miracle, and I don't want to be there anymore. And it was very confusing for me uh, because it wasn't a spiritually rooted issue. It wasn't that I had fallen out of love with the Lord or was in some kind of weird behavior in a closet that would disqualify me. That wasn't the issue at all. I didn't hate kids. I just knew that what had once given me life to lead now was sucking the life out of me. And I awakened to this reality that if there isn't some kind of shift inside of me, I can't continue to do this. And that was a door that opened me to understand uh, sustainable, mature leadership rather than just uh, a vision-driven uh, kind of skill-based leadership. And, and, and so it, you, in faith, you, well, I mean, there was probably some fear. Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I sat down with my direct report, and I said, Don, I'm in trouble, man. I don't know what the problem is. But, so this was in uh, January. I said, I'll get this thing to June. It'll be a 10-year mark at, at the church that I was serving. And I need a sabbatical. I got to think, I got I to gotta have to sit down with a Christian psychologist. I don't know what the problem with me is. I don't know if uh, this is some family of origin issue. I don't know if the ministry is outgrowing my capacities and I need to hand this off to someone with greater capacities, I'm not sure, but i got to sort this thing out. And so, you know, in, in quick summary, you, you left. I did. Yeah, I walked away uh, from all the relevance of that ministry, and I pursued a place where I felt I could recapture perspective. It was a huge risk because you wonder, will anybody care about you? But I, I, at that point, it didn't matter. I was trying to sort out... How do I manage my life in such a way that I can sustain making a contribution? And at that point, I couldn't continue to do ministry anymore and be authentic. And, and that, that's, that was really what launched. Oh, yeah. There was a major shift. You see, I understand today what was going on inside of me. Uh, you know, I've created a whole leadership development construct that you, all of you who are here tonight get the book that that's uh, going to be presented in, but I realized that kind of in the first half of life, it's pretty much about the work of the work. Who am I? How do I, what pecking order? How do I learn the fundamentals? How does my talent touch the planet in a meaningful way? And then uh, hopefully we begin to master something, and we're moving ahead vocationally. We're moving ahead personally. We're moving our company or our ministry, whatever it is that we're involved in. And then uh, I believe that in leader development, it is just not about skills and competency above the waterline, is kind of how I define it. It is about the quality of human being that we are. And it inevitably, I mean, over my 40 years of working with leaders now, I am 
I am pretty much convinced that sometime around 40, between 35 and 50, something happens in the life of a leader that awakens them to that it is just not about your talent touching the planet. It is about the person that you are. Mm. And that leader development, it's always both then. It is both skills and strategy development, and it is also character and heart development. And there was a shift that God was trying to help me understand that if I didn't focus on my inner world and develop there, then I wasn't going to be able to continue to make a contribution. And so, yeah, I took a year, a little over a year um, to sort through that stuff. And I sat down in a counselor's office and chased down my family of origin. I thought about uh, why is it that so many of my friends who were world-class leaders were blowing up their lives at age somewhere between like 38, 39, 40, 40, right in there. They were, uh, they were shipwrecking themselves. And so there was something uh, out of balance. There was something immature, there was something dysfunctional about how I was perceiving leadership. And uh, during that 18-month period, I rethought all of that. And some of the seeds for what I'm doing now were planted then, no doubt. And, and in, in this show today, Dan, there's a passage that we're going to kind of unpack, um, kind of a four-pong approach to yeah. that has been instrumental in your life and in your leadership. Sure, sure you bet. Well, once, we, once I shifted... And then I began to work with leaders. Uh, uh, I awakened to the fact that, that we need uh, wisdom in how to interact personally to call the best out of other people. And if you are a person who interacts with human beings, if you're in any kind of leadership role, uh, if you're a parent, you're trying to lead your children, uh, if you're a friend, you're involved in other people. So, yeah, there's a passage out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that I think has some amazing wisdom concerning how we need to learn how to be situ situationally uh, flexible in order to love and to care for people so that uh, for their good and for their growth. So, um, Chad, I see you, you've got, you pulled out the Bible. You, you want to read it? Yep, you, sure um, do. Why don't, you, why don't you read this passage out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle... Encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And so, Dan, this passage. Yeah. Um, take a, we're going to take a break here and just uh, actually. I'll give you 30 seconds on it. 30 seconds, and then we're going to transition, and okay. uh, we'll go into our second segment. Admonish the unruly, encourage the fainthearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone always. If we are going to love other people, we're going to have to figure out how do I identify when somebody I'm leading is unruly? What does that mean? How do I pay attention to when people are faint-hearted, when they lose courage? And how do I pay attention to when people are weak? And how do I get alongside of them? And what kind of love do they need in order to get in step, get in line, to be able to bring the full weight of their talent to the planet in a way, and how, to, how can we help them uh, lead a life that is in step and Christ honoring? And we're going to unpack that, but we need to take a break. So we're going to take a break, we're going to come back, and we're going to unpack this idea of a leader doing those four things with the people they are leading. So we'll be back shortly, and take a break here on Solid Steps Radio. Welcome back. 
to Solid Steps Radio. We are here with a live audience, and we're very thankful. Uh, we've got some sponsors actually here tonight, and we're very thankful we would not be on the air if not for our sponsors. We want to thank our local sponsors here, Vision First Eye Care. Uh, they've got places, locations all over Kentucky and southern Indiana. We also want to thank l and Credit Union. They are a local lender who does more than just money. They deal with people. They, if you have any kind of issues, whether you want a business loan, a personal loan, credit cards, you name it, personal checking accounts, l and Credit Union can take care of you. And uh, we want to thank them for sponsoring our show. So, uh, Dan, we, you know, we, we, you start this authentic leadership, and w- one of the passages that you use, amongst many others, is this First Thessalonians passage uh, in chapter five. And the, the first piece, this little phrase, um, admonish the unruly. Talk about talk about the word admonish and. And uh, what's the Apostle Paul, who wrote this to the church at Thessalonica in Greece, um, what's, what's driving the Apostle Paul in this? Well, the Thessalonican church was an unusual church, and the Apostle Paul and his team spent a very short period of time and with them, and then the church just took off. So it was an exemplary church. So when he's writing this, he's writing this to some of the spiritual leaders. Obviously, there are parents that are there. And he's trying to encourage them to even do better in their love for one another. And so, you know, these relational principles fall under this banner of love. Love is through my presence and the sharing of my resources, helping another person for their good and for their growth. And so as I interact with people, I think a lot of life just goes on. But there are times when my sons, all three of my boys, my friends, there have been times when they have uh, been unruly. And the word unruly, just like you are right now, as you look at the word unruly, it's a military term. It means to be out of step. And it came to mean idleness or loafing. But when you think of a middle of a military term of, you know, when we are marching in sync and the image is that when a person is walking in sync with the ways of God, there's a rhythm to that. And so when an individual is out of sync with how they should be walking with the Lord, then it's our responsibility to admonish them. And the word admonish is to get alongside and encourage a person to correction. It's different than the word like reprove and rebuke, which means to thump a person on their head. And you don't think about the aftermath. The word admonish is to get alongside and to help another person correct. Now, I don't know, uh, for all of you, I don't know what opens your heart to a word of admonishment. Oftentimes, as parents, we admonish our children when their hearts have been closed. And so over the years, parenting three adult sons now, uh, I I awakened to the fact that there were certain things that would open another person to admonishment. It's like uh, I had a boss once who came to my office and there was something that I screwed up on and he had to light me up. And he was wise enough to sit down with me and he said, listen, is there enough grace in your heart right now? I I need to yell at you about something. (laughs) And that was his tone of voice. He didn't shame me, he didn't come in. He, he said, uh, I need to yell at you about something, and is this a good time? It's never a good time, I told him. Get the heck out of my office. <laughs> I said, yeah, it's a good time. And so he whispered to me the correction that I needed to hear. And so, you know, with my sons, there are times when I've tried to communicate words of admonishment to them, and sometimes they've been open, and sometimes they haven't been open. And so I've realized these were kind of the things in my mind that I would think about. This, is, this would prepare my kids to be able to hear my admonishment. Number one, do they know that they're loved by me? 
Do they, do they, they feel yeah, do your they, love? Yeah, do they recognize that they're loved? And so even from being a little boy, I remember with our first kid, you know, when he was three, four years old, I'd tuck him into bed and I would say, hey, Luke, I just want you to know um, that if there was a line of little boys all the way around the planet and I can only choose one to be my son, I'd pick you just to try to build into him a, this sense of, of you have value to me mm. and that I love you. The second thing is uh, I found that my sons, especially when they got to be teenagers, that if, if they knew what was right with them, they were more open to hear occasionally what was wrong with them. And one of the tensions we have as parents, because we live so close to our kids, is we always see the downside. And there are five things we can tell you that drive us nuts about our children. Well, somewhere along the line, my wife and I awakened to the fact that, you know what, I'm not going to trust girlfriends or coaches or teachers to tell my boys what's right with them. And so we would communicate often to them what was right with them. One Christmas, I wrote them each a letter, what's right with you? And there were seven specific things that I saw about them. Now, I could write you a letter of seven things that bugged the crud out of me occasionally about my boys. <laughs> but at this point, I wanted them to know what was right because if I had to tell them what was wrong... I didn't, I didn't want one wrong statement to crush them or one reproving thing. So that was very important for me. Also, we, I have found no, when out... You, when you say, back, back up, Dan. Okay. Just, uh, so when you say what's right, uh, what, what you're good at, what you, what you are um, excelling, is that, what you, is that what you're talking yeah, about? I mean, also, not, just, uh, not just behavioral things, but character things, things that were true about them, things, their sensitivities, their, uh, their capacity to care for other people their work ethic, things that you would see. Yeah, and you're talking really almost more character than skills? Yeah, I would talk more character at that point. Yeah. Things that uh, they just didn't, okay, you made the varsity team, that's good. Well, you, you worked hard. You put in the time in the weight room. You know, you, you got a benefit at that point. So that's what I do. I okay. try to go through. And, you know, one of the resources I have is called Kid Unique, and all three of the letters that I wrote for my sons are in that book. And so, I mean, that's, that's mm -hmm. one thing that you can look at further. So another thing that, I, that Judy and I found that would open the hearts of our sons was that when, when Judy would quickly and openly admit when she was wrong, <laughs> not me, when she, when, when their mother would, no. What, the we sins listen, of the mother? We found out, I, I found out that, listen, when I would quickly admit when I was wrong, it opened my boys to recognize, well, dad's not perfect. And that was an important thing for them to know, that I was quick to confess. And uh, also, another thing that was important is, so, you know, somebody screws up. Well, how do they recover from a screw-up? Hmm. And so communicating to my sons, here's a recovery strategy. We're all going to mess up because you've got my DNA. I just, my dad passed down to me. I'm passing it down to you. We all have fallen natures. And so when you screw up, it's just kind of a reflection of me. And so to help them understand, listen, here's a recovery strategy. Mm -hmm. And we would use the prodigal son of how, you know, limit the damage, learn the lesson, lay it down and let it go. You know, those things from the prodigal son. Mm -hmm. And then uh, also one of the things that opened their hearts is when they knew that I had their best interest in mind. You know, when those things were true. Is it not, not just when they're aggravating you? Yeah. Not, not just when they're getting on your, on your listen, skin. I, I used to tell my guys when they grew up, I said, listen, guys, you have to, I know you don't believe this, but the truth of it is when you come to me and you ask something, my first thought as your dad is yes. And they would say, well, then why do you say no so much? <laughs> I said, well, go ask your mom. No. I said, I would say, listen, uh, if I know there is a proven destroyer of human life on the backside of your request, 
I will say no every single time. Now, you've got to trust that I'm a little older, that I'm a little wiser, that maybe I've walked down that road and gotten a mouthful of dust. And so at that point, you have to trust me. Now, can you sneak out at night and go do things that can be just, yeah, as a matter of fact, some of my guys did that. They actually didn't listen to my wisdom. But uh, I find that when those things are true, then when I have to bring, you know, a bad word, it softened the blow. And, you know, obviously another thing, too, is uh, because correction is so, our, our children all wonder, do I have what it takes, you know? Am I lovable? And when, mm. uh, when a kid uh, gets a sense that all you're doing is nagging them, nagging her about behavioral things, and you're just on them all the time, um, I found that, you know, when, when those things were true, when I had to bring a word of correction, I'd run through my mind, okay, now listen, Dan, is your perception accurate? Is it true? I mean, do I have all the facts mm -hmm. in this moment? Uh, is, is my approach respectful? You know, uh, how thankful I was for my boss to come in and sit down and say, hey, is this a good time? He, he wasn't all, he could have come in, slammed the door and said, if you, you know, he didn't do that. He respected at that point. So but I so asked, many leaders do that. Oh my gosh, no doubt. Um, yeah, there are, and I can give you a hundred sources that would say that that's not a good idea. Um, I would also ask myself, is it really necessary? Is this really an issue, or is this just something that bugs me a little bit? Mm. Is this really an issue? And is the timing right? Because sometimes it's just better to say, hey, listen, right now, why don't go to bed, we're going to talk tomorrow about this, so that I'm thinking a little more clearly, because right now I'm just annoyed. And, and as a leader, we're always looking for ways of how we can not just bring correction, but admonish in such a way that true life change can yeah. happen oh, absolutely. In, in their lives. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, that's what we want for our kids. It's what we want for those who work for us or yeah. work around us. Yeah. Um, Daniel Goleman and Richard Boyatis written a book called uh, Primal Leadership. In the beginning of that book, they say the primary responsibility of a leader is to create a reservoir of positivity in the hearts of the people that they lead so they can perform at the highest level. I mean, these are, these are brilliant change theorists. Uh, so as a leader, how much time, how much bandwidth do we give? Like if I was under your leadership control, they're saying, you know, from their academic perspective, that you ought to think about how can I relate to Webster in such a way that I can create a reservoir of positivity inside of him mm -hmm. so that he can bring his A game to work every single day. That's the job of a leader. That's, the, that's part of it. The, they would say that's the primary role of a leader rather than just setting strategy. Because if we all agree on where we're going, then how do we call out of each other, each other's gifts to be able to contribute and to make the movement? Coming alongside in a gentle, gracious way and, and uh, give them the truth. That's admonish the unruly. And we're going to unpack the rest of that, that verse after this break. So we're going to take a break and we're going to come back in our next segment. We're going to pick up. There were four things in there that a, that a leader does, uh, Dan was going to hit on. And we're going to cover the next three in the next few segments. We want to thank you for listening, and we'll be back shortly on Solid Steps Radio. All right, welcome back to Solid Steps Radio. We're in our third segment. We are talking today with Dan Webster. 
Uh, he's an author and the founder of Authentic Leadership. And if you want to hear Dan's previous show, May of 2017, that's episode number 81. If you want to go to our Facebook page, you go to SoundCloud, or you go to iTunes, and you look at episode 81, and that's where we had Dan in studio. And uh, thanks to our sponsors, all of those podcasts for three years now, they are commercial-free. Thanks to our sponsors, uh, like Frank Enterprises. If you have a, any septic issues, you got a problem. You need to call Frank Enterprises. That's what they do, septic systems and also water drainage. And, and, and the night we're taping this, we have had a monsoon of rain the past couple of days. Frank Enterprises helps people out with their outside water issues. And also Dan Hart Financial. Uh, Dan Hart uh, helps you if you want to take your finances to the next level of being wise with your investments and you want to put money for uh, a wise man, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Dan Hart helps you to do that. Okay, so, uh, you know, Dan, we've been talking about this whole authentic leadership and this passage out of First Thessalonians chapter 5, ad ad admonish the unruly. I mean, come alongside them. This is a key, uh, you know, component of leadership, either as a dad, uh, a mom, in, in the work world, business world. Um, the, the second phrase in this verse is encourage the faint-hearted. It's a great phrase. It's a great phrase. Because the word faint-hearted means those whose souls are small either because they are naturally timid or temporarily overwhelmed. And the word encourage means to breathe life back into. I, I wish that I could, uh, when I teach this, I often will have two soccer balls that look equally buoyant. One of them is fully inflated. One of them looks like it's inflated, but it's not. And what I'll do is I'll drop the fully inflated one, and it bounces back up to me. Then I take the one that looks inflated but isn't, and I drop it, and it hits the ground, and it doesn't come back. And it's a great image because... Uh, when you work with people, you know, you think, I'll think about one of my sons, is that you, he can look on the surface like he's fully buoyant, but he's unable to bounce back off of the difficult challenges of life. So one of our sons, when he was in middle school, he was born ADHD and has dyslexia, and so middle school, high school was tough. Really smart kid. He's got a doctoral degree today and a thriving a functional movement practice, but in, in middle school, whew, I would sit down with him. You didn't and think he was going to make it. I didn't think he was going to make it. Uh, he was probably 30 or 40 pounds overweight in middle school. It's hard enough, and he would go, and school wasn't easy for him, and he had friends that he really admired that sometimes would be nice to him, sometimes wouldn't, and I would sit on his bed, and I would, he, he would say, Dad, why has God made me this way? I hate my life. And if you're a parent, you're sitting there with a kid like that, you look at him, and you think, well, I don't know why God made you this way yet. And I would say to him, buddy, listen. I'm not sure why you're made the way that you are. God didn't make a mistake. Um, it's too early to tell. And maybe the most important thing you need to hear is I'm not going anywhere. We're going to figure this out. I, we're going to figure this out. And so, you know, I would coach him and I would say, Landon, listen, when you go to school, don't give away your well-being. Don't, don't let your joy be robbed by friends who might be mean to you or something like that. You have all that you need. And I could, for whatever reason, I could not help him get over that hump. I felt like I would coach him and talk with him, and he would sink time after time after time. So, as I mentioned in the first segment, you know, I hit this midlife wall, and I ended up going to some intensive men's retreats where I realized that, that I had a wound from my father who had never really uh, given me, uh, in men's movement terminology, kind of my sword, that sense of self-confidence 
that would enable me to have the courage to move into my future. And so I literally, at a men's retreat, went through a little uh, drama where I picked a man who represented my father, and I went through a ritual where he gave me my sword. And it was just kind of an empowering experience for me. It was just the next step for my personal growth. And it, so, wasn't, it wasn't your dad. No, it wasn't my dad. My dad had been dead for a long time. And so I'm on the uh, drive home, and I'm thinking about Landon, and I realize the reason why I haven't been able to help Landon empower him, give him his sword, his sense of confidence, was because I didn't have that. Now I do. So it end, I end up taking almost a year to pull off a ritual where I take Landon, who now is 15 years old, and I had found a solid silver warrior's sword that was about, you know, two and a half inches long, something you'd hang from a charm, no, you'd hang it from a goth kid's nose, you know, is probably why you would, you would do. <laughs> so I had that thing woven into a burlap necklace, and this represented Landon's life. And I take him to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, to a camp that we were a part of, and we walk into the woods. I have his necklace, his uh, kind of necklace thing that's got his sword in my pocket, and we walk into the woods with an axe, a double-edged axe and a can of bug spray, and we find a tree that I am going to have represent everything that wants to own him. I have right now, in that moment of time, a faint-hearted kid. His, he's, 50, he's 15? He's 15 years old. And he was getting beat up by the world. He was getting beat up by his inability academically to keep up, even though he's mad smart. And so I'm doing everything I can to try to breathe life back into him. So we go out into the woods, and I say, Landon, listen, there comes a time in every young guy's life when he looks at the world and he says, you know what, the heck with you, you're not going to own me. And you take control of your life. You realize that in Christ you have all that you need, that you are loved. And I said, this tree represents everyone and everything that wants to own you. Mm. And so we have a 15-minute conversation defining what that tree looks like. And then I said, son, now listen. And I share with him the warrior sword. And I, show, I share with him the, the picture of what it is for him to take his life. And I say, Landon, listen, look at me. Your grandfather, my dad, was a warrior. My, my dad would fight any three men at the, top of, at the drop of a hat. He played professional baseball. Uh, he was a catcher. And one time a umpire called a guy safe at second base when he threw down and the guy was clearly out and my father chased the umpire around center field to, t to beat him up. <laughs> Two of his teammates had to tackle him. That was his temperament. He was a Marine. He hit the beach at Iwo Jima. A third of the men on each side died. And so he, he was a warrior. And I'm telling Landon, I said, Landon, listen to me, son. The blood of your grandfather, a warrior grandfather, runs through your veins. I said, son, Jesus lives in your heart. I said, Landon, you don't understand this. It may sound romantic. I would lay down my life for you. You are loved. Now, there comes a time when you have to take control of your life. And I think today is that day. And I think you ought to knock this tree down. And I take the necklace and I put it on, the, on a branch on the other side of the tree. And I said, take your life today. So I handed him the ax. He looks at it. And I step back, kind of way back. And... Uh, it takes him about a half an hour to knock the tree down. And by the time the tree falls, he's sweat through his shirt. He has open blisters on his hands. He's breathing hard. And I said, grab your life. So he goes over and he grabs a necklace and he looks at the warrior's sword. And I said, okay, one more thing I want to do is I just want to pray for you. So I put one hand on his back and one hand on his chest. And men, listen, I was so far out on a limb. I'm walking in the fog trying to figure out how to love my kid how to breathe life into a, my son who needed something that, from me in order to become less faint-hearted to move into his future. 
And so I could feel his heart beating. I could feel the sweat on his shirt. And I just prayed that God would help him understand that he was loved. He had all that he needed. And we walked out of the forest with a half a can of bug spray and a dull axe. And he graduated from high school with a 3.7 GPA. He was a scholar athlete. He had a woman who taught him how to compensate for his learning disability. Graduated from college, has a doctoral degree today, and is, he's a miracle walking. And he, but, so how do you pay attention to your kids? How do you, how do you stay alert to the people around you? Because sometimes you look at people, you have no idea what's going on inside. They look fine. But if you press a little bit and you watch a little bit, you can see they're faint-hearted right now. Mm. And I could, I could give you illustrations, you know, so, so, for a long time. So after, after you did that, yeah. what began to take place in his life, in his heart? Well, he, he began to realize that he didn't have to give his joy to friends. That he didn't have to see himself totally through the lens of this girl isn't paying attention to me. And he, he started to hear uh, there was something that shifted inside of him concerning our relationship. That I could just sense in him that he was starting to decide, I, I'm going to choose whether or not I'm going to allow external circumstances to give me joy. And it wasn't a perfect run from then on out, but there was a shift. Yeah. And, you know, for him, who was physically always fine, but emotionally he was behind, probably it took until age 21 or 22 to when I think his emotions caught up to the rest of him. And, uh, you know, now, I mean, just this last year, he and his wife gave us our first grandson, the most beautiful kid that's ever been born on the planet. <laughs> and it's just, it's so thrilling. I mean, he works with pro athletes now and is just... You know, it's an amazing thing. But uh, well, let me just, one other little deal, which I think was so profound. I had, from that moment on, I kept flowing what was right with him. And I could sense that he had a genius about him, that when he was right, he could see right through you. He has this incredible sensitivity. And I would affirm that. And I could see that he had uh, probably the gift of healing. And I can remember in Try To, when he... Uh, I call him on a Saturday. I'm traveling somewhere. I'm in, I'm in Denver, and I call him. He's in Dallas in chiropractic college. And I said, Lanny, do you have, he was really buoyant. He said, Dad, I had a great day. And he tells me that uh, he had gone and he had treated some, pro, some college athletes that had come out to play the University of Texas. And um, he said, but, Dad, I want you to know that I finally figured out why my brain works the way that it does and that I see things outside the box. And he said to me, I want you to know that I now understand how uniquely gifted I am and that I'm going to be a world-class healer. Mm. And what he, in that moment, what he recognized was what he perceived was his curse in seventh grade, his sensitivity and his, 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 uh, his uh, disabilities or his disadvantage that he understood in that moment that there was great advantage in his disadvantage mm. and that he was now recognizing that what I thought was my weakness is my power. Oh yeah. my gosh, as a dad, I about passed out. Encourage the faint-hearted. What an incredible responsibility as it leaders. Yeah. We, we need to take a break. We're going to come back with one more segment to talk about the couple other things in this verse that Dan wanted to unpack. So we're going to be back for one more segment. And we hope you will join us on Solid Steps Radio.
All right, welcome back to Solid Steps Radio. This crowd is wild, man. It is wild. This is a better looking crowd than last year. They are They're I think, much more attractive. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you were here last year and go, he's calling me ugly. That's not very nice of him. But uh, we want to welcome back our listeners. Uh, if you're listening on the radio or podcast and you want to hear the show it's in, in its entirety, go to Facebook, SoundCloud, iTunes, or you can go to furtherstoneministries.org. And you can click on the microphone. You can hear all these past shows in their entirety. Thanks to great sponsors like Bright Star Home Care. Uh, I just saw Chris is in the house, I believe. Right, Chris, where are you? Over there. Thank you for sponsoring our show tonight, especially for the food. Thank Chris for that. Uh, he's in the house tonight. Bright Star Home Care, uh, Vision First, Ellen and Credit Union, Dan Hart Financial, Frank Enterprises. All of those folks help put us on the air. Okay, so Dan, authentic leadership. Uh, I love this passage because admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, and I, I, I love that story with your son of how he was faint-hearted, and I think so many of our, our kids can feel that way, and just practically helping them through, the, through those tough years. But the next part of the verse is help, help the weak. Help the weak. Help the weak. What in the world is Paul talking about here? Help the weak. The weak. Well, the word weak means someone who needs to be held on to. The word help, the verb help, is very interesting. It's not to hold another person up, which means enabling. It means to stand next to and support, mm. which is really interesting. Uh, a couple of illustrations. A while back, I did a leadership talk, and a guy comes up to me afterwards, and he says, uh, he said, I have a... A disability. I have these waves of darkness that come over me. They last about eight minutes. He said, but I'm also incredibly talented in a specific area. So I'm, uh, if, if, he said, I, I work at a place where my boss understands my, these waves that come over me, and he values what I bring to the company enough that he says, if you have a moment when something happens, just go through it. So he says, I'm in my office one day, and my door's open just about six inches, and I have one of these waves where tears start running down my face, and they run about eight minutes. My boss happens to walk by, and he looks inside, and he sees me in my weakness. And he comes in, he shuts the door, he pulls the chair up, and he sits down next to me, and he just puts his hand on my shoulder. Doesn't say anything, just supports me, just sits with me through the wave. He said, about five minutes, it subsides, I, I regain composure, and he looks at me and says, do you need anything else from me? And I said, no, I, I'm good. And he, sa he walks out, and he said, I will walk through a wall for that guy. But I thought, what an incredible picture it was of what it is to be weak and to have another person just stand next to you. I mean, I think about my sons. My sons, all of them have said, Dad, she dumped me, <laughs> you know, throughout. And they just needed someone to stand next to them. You know, one of my boys got cut from the soccer team. Dad, I got cut. Well, I didn't, I just, you just need to be with them at that point. Um, I can remember when um, our youngest kid was uh, in junior high school, and he got a green fracture in one of his arms, which meant that it was bowed, but it wasn't cracked. And we go to the emergency room, and they hang his arm like this, and I hold his other, I am right next to him holding his other hand, and the orthopedist has to snap his forearm. And then, and then he had to set it so that it would grow right. I mean, I was right next to him in that moment. It was pretty hairy. I think I passed that's, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Help the weak. I'll wow. Give you, I'll give you one other illustration of this. Uh, our, Landon, our middle kid, uh, when we moved to Michigan, his closest friend was Timmy Burris in Chicago. And uh, 
Timmy, Timmy's mom was an amazing woman. Everybody hung out at her house. She was kind of like the den mother. And we get news. Landon's 19. He calls me one night at 1.30 in the morning. He's weeping. And I said, Lana, what's the matter? He said, Tim is dead. Tim's died, Dad. I said, what happened? He said, well, Tim was working at a mission. He was 19 years old in uh, Oakland, California. He went up to Portland to hang out with a couple of friends. And it was a Friday night. And they wanted, they were a bunch of guys. They wanted to have some uh, healthy fun. And they found it was a beautiful night. The sun was going down. And there was a 14-story abandoned building. So they hopped the fence. And they go to the top floor. And they watch the sun go down. They weren't, you know, doing graffiti or anything, and they begin to work their way back down, and Tim slips, falls 13 floors to his death. It was just a horrible accident, just horrible. So Landon went down for the funeral, and Mrs. Burris demanded that Landon stay with them. That was just who she was. Mm. And so Landon goes with Mrs. Burris, Timmy's mom, and he's helping to set up for the funeral at the funeral home. And Tim's casket is at the end of the funeral home. You can all imagine that in the rectangular room. It's an open casket. And Mrs. Burris notices, even in the middle of her grief, she was an amazing woman of faith, that Landon is having a very difficult time. He can't look at Tim. He had never lost anybody. And so after they get everything set up, Mrs. Burris goes up to Landon and says, Landon, are you ready to say goodbye to Tim? I mean, she just intuited that Landon needed to do a little work at that point, and he said, I don't know. She said, I'll walk with you. And mm. so here she puts her arm through my son, and they begin to walk towards the casket. Landon says, Dad, I get halfway there, and I collapse. I'm just overcome with grief. He said, Mrs. Burris, uh, you talk about a, a picture of weakness at that point. Mrs. Burris gets on her hands and knees, slides her hand around, pulls me close and whispers into my ear, Landon, I miss him too. We'll do this together. Mm. And she lifts me up and she walks me to the casket and she, his mother helps me say goodbye to her boy, one of my best friend. <laughs> and I just thought, oh my gosh, what an incredible picture in that moment of a kid who was a, you know, I mean, he was a college soccer player at that point had all sorts of strength, and yet in that moment he was weak. And so, you know, as you see people, there are times when you just need to be next to someone, not to enable them, it's their life, but to, to, but to be with them in that moment. I think that's incredibly powerful. And, and what you're saying is in, in leadership, as leaders, as dads, we have to come alongside, oh, help the weak. Yeah, I mean, we want to fix things. I mean, no doubt. I, I want to... <laughs> Absolutely, I want to fix Chad, things. Chad, do, do, do you ever want to just fix one of your boys? I need to fix myself first, I find, before I can go even <laughs> go in that direction. But yes, well, jumping give, in there and rescuing I'll give him. you yeah. a downside right. illustration. Our middle son, our youngest son is a junior in high school. His car's broken down, so I'm driving him to school. It's like a nine-minute drive. We're on the way, and he's telling me about some problem in his life. Dad, this is going on. This is, a, And to me, it's a really simple solve. And I'm thinking, as we drive towards the school, I'm thinking, he is so lucky to have me as his dad, because I'm going to solve this one. So we're about two <laughs> minutes out, and I said, Logan, let me help you with that. And I give him a 60-second solution to probably a two-hour problem. And he's looking at me as I'm articulating, and I'm thinking, God, I am the best dad on the planet right now. And we pull up to the high school, he gets out of the car, shuts the door, and he, he takes like two steps away, and he turns back around, he leans into the window, and he says this. It's just that easy, is it, Dad? And he walks away. 
and I just think, I'm an idiot. <laughs> That's bad parenting right there. He didn't, oh, he didn't need me. To, yeah. He didn't need an answer. He just needed me to understand. And Sometimes the best thing we can do is listen yeah, just and just put, our, put okay. our arm around him. Yeah. And so help the week. I, I, we, 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 or we've got to wrap this baby up, Dan. But um, just comment real quickly on the last little phrase. Be, patient. Be patient with? Everyone. Everyone. Yeah. That's, I, I don't think... That should be in the Bible. <laughs> but God didn't ask me for editing. I didn't have, I didn't have editing. You know, the word patient is a cool word. It means one who does not easily succumb under suffering. Uh, it, it, this sense of self-restraint. It doesn't act quickly. doesn't act quickly to retaliate. But you think, you know, how, it, it implies that, that being patient means that I am welcoming suffering into my life. So if I'm being patient watching someone else grow and develop or make a mistake over and over again, that I'm, as I do that, I'm welcoming, I'm going to carry that suffering for a while. I'm going to hang in there knowing that eventually, hopefully, this person will, you know, they'll make a correction. Mm. They'll receive strength in their weakness. They'll, they'll receive uh, energy, you know, kind of their inner bladder will have air blowing back into it so that they can ricochet off of the hard things of life. But in the middle of that, all those things uh, take patience in mm, us. That's good time. stuff. That's good stuff. Authentic leadership. Um, Dan, tell our listeners how they can find more uh, about what you do. Uh, AuthenticLeadership.com yeah, probably the easier, they both link to the same website, is just danwebster.com. Okay, danwebster.com. Yeah, and my resources are there, and what I do professionally is there. Brother, thanks so much for coming. It's, yeah, you uh, bet. It's thanks for the opportunity. It's great to have you. Uh, would you. Would you pray for us guys, that yeah. we, would, uh, we would live out this First Thessalonians 5, that we would lead this kind of way? Would you pray sure. for us? you bet. Father, thank you for the people in all of our histories who have admonished us when we've been unruly, who have encouraged us when we've been fainthearted, who have stood next to us when we've been weak, for parents and teachers and coaches and bosses and who have been patient with us and have uh, watched us grow and develop. God, would you grace us men, us people who oversee and lead and relate to others younger than us, would you strengthen us to uh, have your heart towards the people in our world? Because we know that you correct us when we're out of line. We know that your heart is yes towards us, that you flow encouragement towards us. And we know that you stand with us in our weakness. And Lord, how thankful we are uh, for how patient you are. We are grateful to be your children. And we pray that we would reflect your heart uh, towards us, towards those that we uh, relate to. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Mm, amen. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Dan. You know, in the beginning of the show, I asked, to draw, what would it, a picture look like of a leader? And most people may draw the leader out here or above. But after hearing what Dan talked about, I picture the people who are being led, that the leader is smack dab in the middle and being surrounded by all those people. It sounds a little bit like Jesus. He got his hands dirty. So if you're here in this show, guys, uh, you've got some people you're leading. They're probably about two feet tall running around your house. Maybe they're six foot two, and you're still leading them because I'm sure Dan's boys want him to still lead them. So uh, we're leaders, men, and whether you're in a Fortune 500 company or your home or your neighborhood or your church, we're called to lead. First Thessalonians 4, 
515, or is it 515? 515. Go pray about that one, guys. So, hey, thank you for listening. We want to thank our live audience, and we want to pass this along to anybody who needs to hear it on Solid Steps Radio.